High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, jocks, nerds, popular kids, and skaters. Oh, and a special shout-out to my friends on the ski team today. This is the very first episode of High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and I'll be hosting the Slumber Party later at my house. But first, school is still in session, so let's go back in time, if you will, to your high school days. Come on. Don't pretend you can't remember them. You remember them. Trust me, there are plenty of days I'd like to forget in high school, too. So together I hope we can, I don't know, exercise some of those demons. So if you guys are confused, you were just listening to the first ever words ever said, ever brought to you from High School Slumber Party. That's right, today is our birthday. Happy birthday to us. I can't believe it's been a year. I can't believe I've had a year's worth of guests. I can't believe I've watched all these high school films. I can't believe that I've edited all these episodes, to be honest with you. And I can't believe that you guys have joined me for this episode and all my other episodes. I'm so, so grateful. And I have to say... I don't know if you agree, but I feel like I've got better at that intro. Did you hear that iconic? That was the weakest iconic I have literally ever heard. So, shame on that. (laughs) Anyway, so thank you so much for joining me on my birthday episode. I'm so excited to talk about 16 Candles. Speaking of which, did you do your homework assignment? This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. Chronologically, this is our 53rd episode, but realistically, it kind of just feels the same as last week. No, I didn't expect to wake up transformed. I just thought that having our year anniversary would be so major that I would wake up with an improved mental state, you know, one that you could hear in my voice. (sighs) I just need four inches of bod and a great birthday. That's all I'm asking for. So let me check the High School Slumber Party email inbox. That's highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com, by the way. Hmm, I'm sure it's going to be pouring with birthday wishes. Nothing here yet. What about on all the places that you can follow High School Slumber Party and social media? Facebook? No. Twitter? No. Instagram? Nothing yet. Damn it. Come to think of it, I don't think anyone's wished me happy birthday yet. I can't believe this. They fucking forgot my birthday. Wow, don't I feel like a dweeb. Much like Sam, played by Molly Ringwald, of course, and today's film, Sixteen Candles. Which, of course, was your homework. Obviously, it's a classic. Obviously, it's beloved. But on rewatch, it also has a lot of problems. So there's a lot to talk about today. I've decided to make it a two-part episode. Our guest this week is my good friend Jenny O'Connell, and she's going to help us break it down. And you really want to stay tuned till after the episode, because I have a really, really special announcement. Well, I think it's special. I hope you guys think it's special, too. Hopefully by then, the birthday wishes will be pouring in as well. You guys know what that sound means. Pack your favorite jammies, tell your mother you're sleeping over Brian's, because we're about to get our party on. Let's take it away with the Spandau Ballet, True. Class dismissed.
it seems always in time but never in line for dreams head over heels when toe to toe this is the sound of my soul this is the I was struggling with what I should do for my birthday episode. And to be clear, because some people have asked me, it's not like me, like Brian Rodriguez's birthday. It's the birth date of the show or around it, you know, because Mm. I'm not sure the exact date, but, you know, this is the 53rd episode. We're ushering in a new calendar year, but I don't even really count that because I decided, like, at some point to go uh, school years. So we're Mm. still in our freshman year until June. Oh, um, yeah. Then it'll, regar- it'll be baby's sophomore year. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless, I didn't know what to do. So someone suggested I do 16 Candles. That's a movie I've kind of been avoiding, um, mm. probably for some stuff we'll discuss here, um, because it's definitely a movie with gray areas, but it's certainly a classic. And then I decided, because it is so beloved yet so controversial, that every year on this podcast birthday, that I would do 16 Candles with a different guest. Ooh, I so, like that. So, Jenny, you were the first guest. Um, you've been on High School Slumber Party before. I have. And yes. just a reminder, introduce yourself by saying your name, your high school, your graduating year. Optional, because we're not ageist. That's and, appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> and the team name. Hey, I'm Jenny O'Connell. I went to Hingham High School, graduated in a year Whoa. Um, and my mascot that I did not care about was the Hingham Harborman. Go Harborman. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. And we've talked about the Harborman. We have, yeah. They really should be episodes. the seamen, but you know. <laughs> so Sixteen Candles, obviously a film that a lot of people know. Um, do you remember the first time you saw it? I think I saw it maybe like when I was in high school. Like I want to say like... 17 or 18 it was around the same time i saw the breakfast club before seeing this movie so i knew who molly ringwald was and was like oh okay like so just for i guess i'm gonna say like 17 like i was around the the right age that you should see it it's funny because i feel like these movies obviously when they came out i don't know if they were huge hits but they became fairly popular among young people and then they were kind of the films that were passed along, like, you're in high school, you gotta see these films, mm, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that's why they have such a treasured status, despite some things that didn't age so well. <laughs> right, right. I mean, it's funny, yeah, because it's, it's something that, like, I didn't really seek out myself. It was more like, oh, you're, you know, you're 17, you need to watch this, like, this classic <laughs> film. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I do love Molly Ringwald. Yeah, so that's and, like the one consistent well, in this that I'm just like double down on my love of Molly Ringwald. She's iconic for a reason. Yeah, I mean, even watching this now, I still really, really, really like Molly Ringwald. Um, and look, we'll get onto all the warts in this film oh, a little we bit will. later. <laughs> you know, she's been upfront about how she feels about these films and. Mm how torn she is, and I want to talk about that. We did The Breakfast Club on this show, and there were similar issues in that film, and uh, we we talked about Molly a lot there. So I'm really excited to just really deep dive into this film and talk about it, because, again, it's a classic. It's a classic for certain reasons, but it's... It might be hard for kids today to watch. I don't know if it'll be yeah. hard, but it'd certainly be like, oh, okay. And, right. and I think Molly has made some good points in the past, and people have made some good points in the past. But before that, I tracked down what the back of the VHS for this film looks like. And if you don't know what 16 Candles is about, or if you never heard of it, I'm very surprised that you're a fan of this podcast, or you've listened to this podcast, you know? Mm. Because it's just like, you know, if, if you said, name me 10 teen films, not your favorite 
but like just 10 that exist. 16 Candles is probably in there. Oh yeah, and it gets spoofed so often. It's on oh, like yeah. Family Guy and not another teen movie where I'm like, yep, like even <laughs> if you haven't like seen it, you know what 16 Candles is. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the back of the VHS. It's Samantha Baker's Sweet 16, and no one in her family remembers the important occasion. John Hughes, the writer of National Lampoon's Vacation, shows how coming of age can be full of surprises in his warm-hearted teen comedy starring Molly Ringwald. She's your average teen, enduring a creepy freshman, that's true, spoiled siblings, confused parents, and the big blonde on campus who stands between the boy of her dreams. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> but wait, the day isn't over yet. This sparkling film features a dynamic score and outstanding performances, and then it lists the casts. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I feel like they, they got some things accurate. I would have amended it to, like, Demon Family, and, like, <laughs> <laughs> also, like, I don't know, something I found interesting just with, like, the big blonde on campus. Like, she wasn't much of a villain, which I actually really like. I feel like it would have been so easy to just make her, like, a bitch and been like, oh, you know, like, we're gonna make her a Taylor Swift song, and she's just, like, you know, <laughs> vapid and, like, you know, is bullying molly ringwall where she's like really nice and just wants to get riggedy wrecked and i'm like i stand by that you know oh yeah even on this watch now i was a little worried about her character but you know what like it's not that bad like she she doesn't do too much is she a little selfish at times sure but she's a teenager yeah that's that's just like an insane standard to like hold you know someone to i'm not excusing it entirely but it's also like was jake ryan selfish fuck yes he was (laughs) and like you know they're all varying degrees of selfish and terrible people the one person (laughs) that i think is absolved and maybe that's just because like not the character to be very clear not the character, but I think that I hope I really pronounce um, his name right, Gede Watanabe. Like, yeah. I think that he just, like, deals with this trash fire of a role so amazingly that I'm, like, in the hands of, like, a different director, there could have been, like, a good movie about, like, a, a like, Japanese, like, exchange student coming to America. I would totally have watched that with, you know, like, Gede in it. He's fantastic. And I'm like, oh, I'm sure we're going to get into the whole, like, oh, yes. long duck dog, because <laughs> that is just, like, a racist shadow looming over everything. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I'd yeah. say like he's like oh. the one character, if you can even call what he is a character, that is just not that selfish. I'm just like, good for you. But also, I really hope someone like gave gave Gede like flowers or like, hey, buddy, sorry you, you had to take this racist role because you'd got pills to pay. You're fantastic. <laughs> well, as you said, we'll get into it. We're going to definitely do a deep dive in that. But just a spoiler alert on later in the episode, he pretty much like got called out his whole life for this from people mm. like people really shit on him his whole life so unfortunately yeah. he did not get those flowers <laughs> no well i i would extend a metaphorical gesture of flowers like so i said this movie's beloved and it, and it really is um 86 by the critics on rotten tomatoes 85 percent by the audience oh wow um i wonder if it'll be re-examined in a different light today but i think people are just you know some of these are older reviews and some people are just trying to see it for what it was at the time and of course this is one of john hughes's keystone films it's funny because when we're talking about all these teen movies you rarely see directors who do more than one high school or teen film Mm. Uh, there are some there are some of course yeah but the two that stand out the most to me and very different films and very different people are John Hughes, of course. And mm. again, like, if you don't know who John Hughes yeah. is, I don't know why you're listening to this episode. <laughs> but uh, obviously this, Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller, Pretty in Pink. Like, those are his keystone for teen films. And the other one, very, very different, though, is Amy Heckerling, who has both... So I was both... thinking of, yes. <laughs> yeah, who has both Clueless, which is amazing, and Fast Times. I don't know who the Mount Rushmore of teen film directors is, and we'll get into all John Hughes' warts, of course. But in terms of just, like, made popular teen, more than one popular teen movies, certainly John Hughes and Amy Heckerling. But again, 
very different films yeah. and body of work. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's a little hard to compare because, like, I mean, I love I love Amy Huckerling. I love Clueless. Like, I, I know I'm not on the the Clueless podcast, so I can't sing its praises so much. But I, mean, can. Um, I can, I guess. Yeah, fuck it, fuck the rules. But yeah, I'd say my my whole thing with John Hughes is like I appreciate his like technique and his casting and like him really like I don't know like taking like a subject like oh someone forgets a 16 year old girl's birthday as like a serious matter instead of being like oh well she's 16 Uh." you know some other directors could and like I do like a lot of his films but yeah admittedly I don't know. I don't think he's one of those like patron saints of pop culture that I'm really um, afraid to go after. So I might be a monster. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, and that's totally fine. Like, he, it's weird because he's like, he's certainly a master at certain things, right? Like, yeah. Like you said, finding these issues that teens cared about, but adults didn't and it was being ignored in films like you said like as as simple as it sounds of forgetting uh someone's birthday but when you're a teenager that really matters yeah and and think of the alienation in the breakfast club and these feelings of, of like that teenagers have that were dismissed as like dumb for years he was able to highlight them but then he's also like, I don't know, makes some pervy questionable decisions. He does. Yeah, that's that's the thing. That's like one of the things I do think is like, I don't think that, you know, as like a writer, you need to like necessarily stay in your own lane. I mean, again, this is a huge, I'm trying to be as like specific as I can because holy shit, that statement right there. So let me, let me rephrase that. <laughs> Like, for this, I appreciate that he, you know, felt compelled to write about the experience of a 16-year-old girl, where I'm like, cool, I don't think someone should have been like, hey, buddy, don't fucking do this. Instead, I feel like he needed to do a little bit more research and maybe think about some of these these decisions, these choices he made in the in this film, particularly, where I'm just like, oh, like in an ideal world, 16 Candles would have been like a an Amy Heckerling, you know, like joint, like where it's like, oh, okay, at least we have like, you know, someone who's maybe experienced what it's like to be a 16 year old girl, or at least had that sort of like awareness of how, like, maybe, you know, like, some gratuitous, like, underwear shots. I mean, there's a specific, like, sound effect that appears with a boob shot where I'm like, (laughs) what? (laughs) That brings it out of this, like, I actually thought was, like, a pretty, comparatively, like, I was really, like, again, trying to brace myself for this movie where I'm like, ooh, I am sure that it is going to be, like, so problematic. But the shower scene where they're spying on Carolyn, the the blonde in the shower, and it's, like, not cool, but also have feelings as, like, queer lady where I'm like, I probably, like, would have been in the same position. Like, I probably would have done the same thing. I'm not going to pretend to be a saint and be like, no, if there was, like, a beautiful naked lady in a shower. Yeah. So, like, that I don't think I have a problem with or the way that it was necessarily, like, that scene is shot. Like, it's not, like, overtly, like, you know, male gazy with the way that it could go into, like, you know, oh, yeah, this is, like porn context and like molly ringwald's gonna go into the shower with her like i'm like no no at least it avoids that so i'm giving this like a i guess a little bit of a low praise (laughs) but like i at least appreciated the sort of like i don't know the the complexity of that scene itself like i think maybe someone should have been like hey buddy that that sound effect before the boob shot really destroys (laughs) the fact that like you have a really interesting complex scene about like two teenage girls like i think molly ringwald was like 15 at the time of filming or something like that from what i read on imdb and like on the one hand there is a lot of pressure for like teenage girls to be sexy and it is interesting that like for carolyn they cast like a an actress who is like 23 or 25 and like they used a body double for that nude scene because she didn't want to do the nude scene so like that to me is also interesting too of being like yeah 
I distinctly remember like when I was like 15 and 16 feeling so much pressure that like I was very flat chested and like I didn't have Victoria's Secret supermodel curves and like there's the whole like oh well teenagers have to be sexy which again that's a whole other like (laughs) just awful like no they don't I feel like if this was made today there might be a message about being like no you don't have to be sexy Molly Ringwald you're you're perfect the way you are that probably sounds like way too hacky no but but, I I definitely you know because that's what I got from the shower scene you know so maybe I was giving him more credit with like that section but I mean the boob boob sound effect (laughs) I was like Jesus fuck like why I swear to God, Caroline Mulford had to fuck about nine grades. Well, I mean, the theory out there is, and I'm not going to say it's my theory because a lot of people have been saying this, and I think it makes sense. Um, our guest on The Breakfast Love was Cara Geller-Regan, who you shared mm-hmm. the airwaves with on Tammy the T-Rex. Um, oh, she brought right. some great research and some great points. I've also guest starred on another uh, podcast on the network here, Third Time to Charm with Mike Manzi, and we did Christmas Vacation, so we did a little John Hughes research then. He came up through National Lampoon. Mm. And National Lampoon is lauded as, like, the foundations of modern American comedy. But if you read National Lampoon today, it is some fucked up stuff. Yeah. Like, it's really, including, including a lot of stuff that John Hughes wrote himself. I think he always had these like great stories, especially about young people in his head, mm. but came up through National Lampoons and he could never shake. I don't want to say never, but at least in this era, he could never shake like the raunchy comedy yeah, aspect. Because I never, I never dive like did a deep dive into his work there i know he was on national lampoon and like i'm vaguely familiar with the the humor because of like national lampoon vacation and like i want to say animal house is national lampoon too Yeah, yeah yeah so it's like i've seen animal house and like there are tiny nuggets from each thing that i could maybe appreciate but overall i'm like wow this is a garbage <laughs> fire <laughs> like this is just true true dumpster like dumpster turds you know and like maybe there's like a oh that was funny when he like smashed the guitar but then everything else i'm like ooh. so yeah it is interesting that like no one curbed that for him no one was like hey buddy maybe don't do this in this and scene? i think mm-hmm. the reason why was Believe it or not, before like his films like this, there weren't too many teen films that like struck at the heart. Think of a movie like Porky's, you know? Mm, yeah. Like a lot of teen films were just like literally like a couple steps away from porn. <laughs> you know? I bet all those films have sound effects when when you see women's breasts, you know? Oh, like... I would not be surprised <laughs> at all. <laughs> so I think he got a lot of credit at the time, and he, and I think he still deserves credit for certain things he yeah, did. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it was because it was like so innovative and, and at the time, and mm. now it's like, hmm, <laughs> you know? yeah, like like oh my god, this is so good. Like I I feel this moment so much. Like I feel right. Molly Ringwald. It's like oh okay. Like in the yeah, scene. yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Before we dive in further, I, I want to just get some production notes out of the way. So he'd done vacation. I mean, he'd written vacation. He had written and he wanted to direct the Breakfast Club. Like that was like his baby. Mm. And he had his assistant or somebody give him headshots for like young actresses. I know that sounds bad, but he was casting. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and he was scrolling through them, and he picked out two that he really, really loved. Potentially for the Breakfast Club. Both actors had really not re- done anything before this. And that was Molly Ringwald and Ali Sheedy. Mm. Over a weekend, this sounds bad, but I don't think it is. Over a weekend, he, he was looking at the Molly Ringwald headshot and he was just like, I see so much in this girl. Let me try to write something, you know, as an exercise. And he wrote the first draft of 16 Candles in a weekend. 
based on Molly Ringwald. And, like, he hadn't even cast her yet, apparently. The studio saw that script, and they're like, wow, this one's a lot easier to make than The Breakfast Club. For some reason, I don't know why, The Breakfast Club takes place in, like, one place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this, that's interesting. This is what they thought. They're like, we're going to put The Breakfast Club aside. We're going to let you make 16 Candles. So they let him make 16 Candles, and he actually almost cast Ali Sheedy in the role he wrote for uh, Molly Ringwald, but decided to go with Ringwald, which I guess makes sense, you know? And, of course, the both of them would star together anyway in The Breakfast Club. Let's do the cast. Yeah, yeah. I Mo- mean, I could Molly- definitely definitely sip my tea here with being like, oh, you wrote this in a weekend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, there's, there's whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, again, we mentioned Molly Ringwald, who's awesome, even at this age. Oh, yeah. Like, a lot of the humanity in the film, yeah, comes from the role, but also comes from the way she plays it. Yeah, I really... uh, 15 years old, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's also just, like, what impresses me so much, too, is, like, that she's 15, she's, like, the actual age-appropriate role, and she's so, like, she's so subtle with teen Mm -hmm. angst, which is, like, impossible to do. I mean, it... Or not impossible, (laughs) but, like, it's... It's so fucking hard to be subtle while you're supposed to be like, okay, so you got to hit, you know, this brick wall next to the fire extinguisher, slump down and cry over a boy. Go. (laughs) You know, where I'm just like, she did it. She sold the fuck out of everything for me, where I was like, just very much team protect Molly Ringwald. You know, she's just like, she's so great. I just hope that she's doing well and has like, good things in her life because she deserves that yeah i mean people are so grateful for molly ringwald i feel like um that they put her in so many things i see her in like so many parts here and there and like teen stuff playing the mom and she should just i don't care what it is she should just keep getting paid she know? should yeah <laughs> honestly just being like oh you're a delight here here's the check just treat yourself to like i don't know like some some nice gelato or like i don't know for self-care what she does but like <laughs> just nice things for molly ringwald forever and ever yeah <laughs> and then another note i wrote on her herself and her character is that she got to decorate her own bedroom in the movie, which I think, like, oh, look at this. You're 16 or you're 15. You're cast in a movie, mm. and the director is going to let you decorate the bedroom with whatever you want. That's cool. That is so cool. Like, <laughs> oh my god, that's that's a dream, honestly. <laughs> As the- someone who wanted to be a, an actor, like, from 15 but was nowhere as good as molly ringwald at 15 i would have like i would have died if someone was like decorate a, a room on a movie set i'd be like yes <laughs> <laughs> um and of course the hunk in this is played by michael Schofling. oh yeah yeah jake ryan mm-hmm. now jake ryan is like previously considered in the hall of fame of hunks um, i think we're gonna have questions about his character today absolutely but, uh, now for the, the actor's role they auditioned a ton of like guys in their early 20s because i think they wanted them to look older <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure you read this but i need to tell the audience and maybe you didn't i don't know but it came down to him and vigo mortensen i know oh my god is like hilarious <laughs> it's so hilarious and molly ringwald said she really 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 wanted vigo mortensen that like he made her knees buckle or something like that she was like so attracted to him you have my sword <laughs> but they went with Schofling, who was super quiet in auditions, but they just liked his look. Yeah. And, I mean, people mention this a lot, but, like, he decided to retire in 1991 from acting. He was in Mermaids and, like, uh, a couple other things, but not too much. And he said he needed the money because he had a family and he wasn't making enough in acting, which I'm like, oh, that kind of sucks. That does, but, um, yeah. He became a woodworker, and apparently he's doing well, so that's okay. Oh, okay, that's nice. Like, good, <laughs> good for you. <laughs> And whether you have questions or not about this next guy's character, because he certainly is a current monster and a future monster, of course, Anthony Michael Hall plays Ted, a.k.a. Farmer Ted, a.k.a. The Geek, as he's credited in some versions. Um, He was 15 at the time, and when he was brought in, they basically... John Hughes said he was the only one who didn't play it like a traditional, like, geek 
with like the suspenders and a pocket protector and he had like confidence to him i also read that jim carrey also auditioned for this role which is interesting oh that would that would have been such a different movie if it was jim (laughs) carrey and vigo mortensen yeah oh my god i i don't know if my brain can handle that so not yet what you think of farmer ted but i guess what did you think of Anthony Michael Hall's performance. I really liked his performance. Again, his character is a fucking monster. (laughs) I cannot stress that enough. But as an actor, like, I believed him. Like, I just, I was sold on that performance. I'm like, this, this guy feels real. Like, he didn't feel like a caricature. He felt like just a hideous shit stain of a person who happened to be, like, fueled by desires to fit into, like, toxic, you know, hyper-masculinity standards, but being unable to because he's Anthony Michael Hall. And, like, again, no no tea, no shade with, with that last part, but just, like, I thought, yeah, he, like, he looked believable as, like a geek like he wasn't like Jake Ryan who I thought was 30 but I guess is 20 so sorry boo <laughs> yeah he was 20 something but 20 I, he something looked 30. yeah he, 30. he looked much <laughs> older and like seeing him next to Anthony Michael Hall I was like oh wow there is a difference here I mean I kind of feel like I'm I'm bordering on sea hag territory. If there if there are any like, you know, 14, 15 year olds listening to this, I'm just like, sweetie, all the kids in your school, they're going to look like Anthony Michael Hall. You got to deal with it. You know, like <laughs> there's no Jake Ryan. He's a construct, <laughs> you know, so I'm just like <laughs> bitter, bitter. No, all no, that no, being no. said, I thought he was great. And no, I but, still uh... think he's a an awesome actor where I'm like, yes. You know, go for it, Anthony Michael Hall. Because even though that character is a monster, monsters like that do exist. They and do. it felt so believable. Oh, um, yeah. So I don't know these people too well, but Paul Dooley played the father. Carlin Glynn played her mother. And I just had one note on her, which is really, really gutsy. She went up to John Hughes and she said, my character feels like she should apologize at some point for not wishing Sam a happy birthday, and that scene's not in here. So John Hughes was like, okay. And then they added an apology scene. I'm like, wow. Ooh, <laughs> yes. Like, <laughs> that's, yeah, she has great instincts in that case. I mean, I've, I'm not familiar with her work, admittedly, like beyond this. But yeah, I mean, out of the family, I feel like the mother was like the least terrible. I know the father had like the nice speech whatever but like i'm still just kind of like she did apologize so like i approve i'm like yeah you know like she's dealing with like demon bull cut monster like i i i don't know how much i can curse at like a a small child but like holy shit (laughs) their son is a monster the son the son is like might be the worst character in this movie not worst character worst person in this movie i mean i don't know i mean this is kind of spoiler but like i wrote down in my notes people to save carolyn molly Long Duck Dong. Everyone else can burn. This is from my notes. <laughs> like, no one else. Those were the three that I'm like, you were the only, like, sympathetic people in this universe. But then the mom apologized. So, like, you know, I'm like, okay. <laughs> but yeah. And uh, we, we've talked about Carolyn a lot already, but she's played by an actor called Havlin Morris. Which is a cool and, name. Yeah, you never hear that name. Uh, and you mentioned the shower scene. The other, only other note I wrote on it was not only did she not you know, want to do it really, but one of the reasons was also character motivated because she, and this is her words, that she had smaller breasts than Molly Ringwald and that would not make sense with what the character was doing. And I like how a lot yeah. of the actors here like went to John Hughes like, yeah, dude, that doesn't make sense. I mean, it didn't always work clearly, but... yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's appreciated, at least. Good for her. Also, she naturally has red hair, but... I did, yeah, and they only wanted the, the one yeah. redhead. It did look like a wig, so I'm not surprised by the wig, <laughs> but more the hair color. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? Like, I, I get it, too, because no offense movie audiences, but, like, they, they often do things not to distract us, you know? Like, yeah. why are there two of them? <laughs> oh, yeah, totally, and also just, like... 
I don't know, like Molly Ringwald's like so iconic with that red hair that it's like just bask in it. I know that we should have like more redhead representation. That's not my <laughs> highest pet cause, by the way. <laughs> I, <was gonna laughs> I think say. redheads are doing fine. <laughs> but just like, you know, it's a cool hair color. I get it. But the focus is like Sam and it's very yeah. 80s. It's a very 80s move to be like, oh, the popular girl is blonde. So it's <laughs> like, I get why they would do that. So I'm sorry. This is the fact that I thought you would like. So two part fact, mm-hmm. Havlin Morris went to SUNY Purchase, as did you. Oh, wow. Yes. And her <laughs> classmate and friend, apparently, at SUNY Purchase was Stanley Tucci. The Tucci. Yeah. Which is awesome. Anytime you can work Stanley Tucci into the conversation, I'm very happy. Oh, same. Same <laughs> here. It, it would have definitely been a different movie if Stanley was in this. <laughs> I could see him playing, like, and we'll talk about it, but the, the Cusack role or something. Like, or, oh, or yeah. Like, maybe the friend who's not really, like, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd have to say Cusack, or, like, there's, I'll I'll talk about this, like, Jake Ryan's one friend who is 40, where I'm like, he's 40, convince me otherwise. But I could see Stanley doing that role, but, like, (laughs) just making it, like, weirdly, I don't know, like, weirdly sexual with just, like, the chest hair and being like, (laughs) what? (laughs) And we'll circle back on Long Duck Dong, but... I mentioned John Cusack was in this as Bryce. He plays one of Ted's friends. Oh, yeah. Is he and, still mad at you? Yeah, oh, I guess, because he's still blocking me. So. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> but I've had a couple guests come on and be like, this is just what he does. Just let him be. So, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's part of his now, process. Now, the reason he was in this film and his sister Joan Cusack, who is that, like, geeky girl, Oh, yeah, I have lots of thoughts about her. (laughs) Yeah, she had, like, that brace and stuff. Well, they were both cast in this because, I mean, this is what I read. I'm assuming it's true. But that when John Hughes hadn't written Six and Candles yet, but he had The Breakfast Club in mind, he kind of both, like, half-promised them. And I've read this about John, not about Joan. I think Mm -hmm. I might have read about Joan. But he half-promised John Cusack that he would be Bender in The Breakfast Club. And that Joan would be Allison. And that obviously didn't come to be. And he didn't shoot The Breakfast Club at that time. So he kind of gave them roles, like token roles here. I mean, I think they, again, for what they are, do a good job. Yeah. Yeah. He's joined by his friend Cliff, or also known as Wheeze, played by Darren Harris. That's all I was going to mention. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've never heard (laughs) of that actor before. Oh, But yeah, I mean, I thought they were both both good given the roles and like <laughs> i i just wish that that joan cusack had a better role where it was yeah. like oh i mean yeah john cusack again very confusing choice by the the parent name by the way just throwing that out there that like they're very similar yeah. sounding names <laughs> <laughs> like you couldn't switch it up a little bit they're not uh, like twins, you know they're not Oh, it's good I don't have a Twitter because John Cusack would like block me immediately. <laughs> but like, yeah, yeah, no, he he was good as like the still terrible but less terrible friend of Anthony Michael Hall. <laughs> Both of his friends were just awful. Like, I feel like they don't get as much heat, but they should. They should all get, you know, picked apart a little bit. Yeah, that's definitely fair. Quickly, some other cast people I just want to mention is Jamie Gertz. I, I mean, she's been in a bunch of stuff. I know from Twister. Played oh. the the friend who wears the fur coat who cuts the hair of. Yeah, that's... Oh, okay. That's, I was trying to figure out <laughs> where I'd seen her in Twister. Oh, okay. Cool, cool. And then uh, Brian Doyle Murray plays the Reverend, and Zelda Rubenstein is the organist at the end, and she's known for Poltergeist. And Poltergeist, Teen, yeah. Teen Witch, which we did on this podcast. Yeah, she <laughs> has a very, very relatable line to, like, after watching this movie, when you're not watching it with nostalgia glasses. Because I just don't... Or goggles? I guess nostalgia goggles is the <laughs> word. But there was no nostalgia goggles here. Like, I saw this movie, and it was kind of like a, it's I. Like, I did have feelings about Molly Ringwald, where I'm like, she's really pretty. Like, hmm, are these Queerios my Cheerios? But, like, I was just, like, baby queer kid in high school. I was kind of like, eh. 
more into Molly than into Jake Ryan. He didn't really do it for me in high school. Like, I was <laughs> all about her and being like, she is stupidly pretty. Yeah, no, and, and she's awesome. And then she is. Just to, you know, tie it. Not, I don't want to tie a bow on it, but just um, Long Duck Dong and Giddy Watanabe wasn't his real accent. So yep. that kind of sucks. Uh, as we said, he was hated in the Asian community for a little bit for taking this role. But guys got to pay the bills. I know that's not always an excuse. Right. But, but yeah, uh, I mean, it does. Like, I think it's. It's something that, like, I don't have to question as far as, like, any roles for, like, white people. Like, I got white privilege. I'm like, I'm good. No one's gonna, like, turn me away for my race. And if anything, like, white ladies still have, like, lots of role opportunities where I'm like, he's working with a a casting department that's like, oh, the only viable roles for people are, like, white where it's like that's awful and I can only imagine how awful that is you know but at the same time it's like there's this pressure with like minority communities to have to represent them their entire race that like straight white people don't have that you know it's not like I don't know like James Franco's going into an audition being like I gotta represent all the the straight white dudes out there like (laughs) you know he's just going in there being like I'm James Franco and I'm gonna eat things weirdly and be the worst you know like (laughs) um it's just like I get it he's not in a position of power he's not like a you know, like a Scarlett Johansson who's just has all that Marvel money but decides to play an Asian lady because reasons, like, uh, where he's, like, a working actor trying to, like, get roles and it's, like, do you either have to turn down this opportunity and, like, your paycheck or you have to, like, do that in order to maybe, hopefully, someday get something that isn't, like, as embarrassing, you know, and keep getting roles. Like, I really don't envy him and I think it's... It's valid to express that frustration. I'm not going to like be like, Asian community, you need to react this way. It's just like, I, I get it. Like, valid to express that frustration. I wish that we had a better society where like people didn't have to wrestle with being like, oh, am I going to totally piss off my community <laughs> and like degrade my integrity for a paycheck? That would be nice. And he's actually talked about it a lot, and he didn't even see it like that. I mean, and some people have actually said, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I know Mm -hmm. either he said it or other people defending him have said it. Like, he's not necessarily, like, yes, he has an Asian stereotypical voice and there's a stupid gong sound, but he's not, like, a stereotypical Asian, you know? That's true, yeah. It's it's more how other characters are treating him. Yeah. Um, Like he's like such an outsider and such a weirdo. And this is what he actually said, I know this. He was like, he saw him as a guy who just wanted to have fun and party, you know? Mm. Like he was an exchange student and he came to America, he fell in love with America, and he wanted to party. But you know what? How many other characters in this film want to party? Yeah. Yeah, like all, pretty much all of them. Like, <laughs> I mean, I did appreciate that aspect of like, I think that because I just inherently don't trust straight white dudes when it comes to representation or many a thing, I like could see some scenes being like, ooh, they're playing this up for comedy because of his, like, race. Like, because, you know, like, they think it's funny being like, oh, he's Asian and is gonna, like, dance with a really tall lady. Ha ha. You know, like, (laughs) with him at least... I thought that his portrayal, like, he was adding a lot of humanity to a role that could have just been awful. And it's, like, in a weird way, I respect that he was trying to, like, make the best out of this shit sandwich. Like, he really could have phoned it in. He could have just been like, whatever, like, I'm gonna do this stupid accent and, like, just kind of get the fuck out. Which, again, I get if someone does that. It's something I don't know if I could do the same thing about, like honoring my craft as much as he did 
of being like, oh, I'm going to, you know, really dig into this party animal despite the fact that, like, everyone's just being the fucking worst about, like, you know, or having to do the, the takes with, like, all the lines that are at his expense. I'm like, yeah, yeah, like, that yeah. sounds awful. I wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> and I want to read a quote here. Um, that I found. I think it was on IMDb. Alan Yang was a writer for Master of None, <laughs> um, but he won the Emmy for yeah, writing, obviously. Yeah. And, and in a speech, talked about Long Duck Dong, and I just wanted to quote him quickly. There's 17 million Asian Americans in this country, and 17 million Italian Americans. They have The Godfather, Goodfellas, Rocky, The Sopranos. We've got Long Duck Dong, so we have a long way to go. But I know we can get there. I believe in us. It's just going to take a lot of hard work. And, you know, that's kind of an interesting point, right? We know that, like, Asian Americans are one of the most underrepresented uh, groups in terms of media. I was happy, though, to see last year a movie that we talked about on this podcast, To All the Boys I Loved Before, which, of course, had an Asian American lead and actually talked a lot about 16 candles it was like interrupting yes. the plot and even mentioned I'm sorry isn't this character long dong duck like kind of racist not kind of extremely racist so why do you like this movie why are you even asking that question hello Jake Ryan <sighs> I'm way better looking than that guy you wish oh yeah? Incoming! Oh, this is good. Ah, whoa! Lana Condor's character. I can't remember the character's name. I'm sorry to all the boys that's, I love before fans. Yeah. But that's okay. <laughs> Lana Condor is awesome. and But her character even said, yeah, it's offensive, but I love it, which is a very watered-down <laughs> version of how I think a lot of people feel about this film in general. But um, yeah. you know, even seeing that, I think probably in the book and even in the film, it was like a nod to, yeah, Long Dug Dong really sucked. <laughs> but a movie like To All the Boys I Loved Before does so much for representation. And we recently had Crazy Rich Asians as well. And of course, I'm not yes. Asian. I, I can't speak <laughs> for it. But it does seem like we're getting more stuff and, and it's awesome. Like, I, I love yeah. it. Yeah, and I mean, I, I stand by my my whole thing about being like... You know, I want to see a, I don't know, I want to see someone take, you know, that idea of Long Duck Dong, give them a better name, because that's not, it's not an Asian name, like an actual, like, holy shit, <laughs> like, we can get into it more, <laughs> but just like, you know, like having like a, a movie about an exchange student from like, Japan being like these here to party and like learn about the culture and like exploring you know that culture shock maybe written by someone who's Asian that would be fun I'd love that so one other thing about Long Duck Dong I kind of learned this from when I as I mentioned I guest starred on Third Time's a Charm for Christmas Vacation that Christmas Vacation was based on a National Lampoon story that John Hughes wrote called Christmas 59. And it was a semi-autobiographical story. And in that story, the main character's grandparents bring an Asian-American exchange student who acts a lot like Long Duck Dong. So um, I don't know if that actually happened to John Hughes, but it's pretty clear that he based it off that story. So I thought that was mm. interesting. It's like the Hughes universe intertwined. Yeah, yeah. Now we okay. open up, right... Literally, and I don't mind when movies open up like this, but literally, like, it's her birthday, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just and like, we see, well, hello, 80s calling. That yeah, didn't really work like, in the, the old timey. <laughs> yeah, it's very, like, Reagan family, 80s. We see all the monsters that exist in her family, essentially. Oh, yeah. Mostly the yeah. brother. I mean, I'd say the thing that was, like, jarring just right out the gate was, like, period joke, where I was like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> just being like, this is how we're starting? And like, oh, just like that demon bowl cut child. Like, I mean, I know very tonally different subjects, but like watching him is like watching Joffrey on the first season of Game of Thrones, where you're like, I want to murder a child. I hate him so much. <laughs> but yeah, that was just, that was an intro right there. Yeah. 
And it's actually, you know, it's made pretty clear, like, what's going on. The sister's getting married, like, a day later. This whole movie takes place pretty much uh, in a two-day period. I didn't mean to say period as the joke, but as you said... It's okay, I figured you didn't. <laughs> you know, they, they make light the fact that she has her period and she's getting married. Like, who cares? Right? No, you know like, what I mean. You know. You yeah, know. Like, no, that's, no, I that's agree. Not that's someone that's else's why business. it's... Yeah, it just feels very... I don't know. I guess... I definitely have a different sense of humor than John Hughes and National <laughs> Lampoon, where I just don't find it original or funny, where I'm just no. kind of like, great, like, and, like, she has her period on a wet, oh, is it because she, like, bleeds and has to wear white, and, like, ladies be crazy when they're on their period, and, like, chocolate, cramps, ack, 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 like, I'm just like, that's not original, <laughs> you know? <laughs> So um, it did a good job establishing the tone right away, where it was like, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, they're Molly like Ringwald like is trapped jokes. in a house full of terrible people. Damn. Yeah, and they're making joke. One of the jokes is like, oh, who would date you, Mr. T? Which I thought was really a sign of the times. Yeah. <laughs> but she is wearing a really, really cool hat. And oh, yes, her hat. I read that the casting, uh, or no, sorry, the wardrobe department didn't really want her to wear the hat, but she really wanted to wear it. Good choice, Molly. I think you mm-hmm. set a trend by doing that, so. Yeah. Bravo. And then we kind of get our, you know, we, we move to the school, we get our school scenes, which I Yeah, which I, really I, I did too. I liked the, I mean, the, like, opening credits, like, were pretty cool with, like, the 80s soundtrack and, like, what it almost soundtrack. had this, like, kind of almost, like, assembly line feel. Like, I, I don't know if that makes sense or not, just with, like, the fact that, like, I think high school does, in a way, feel like an assembly line where you just you're stuck in this routine and like in a constant state of comparison with other people and like you know your lunch is mandated your bathroom breaks you have to like ask to go use the bathroom like you don't really have a a choice in elective like you can't be like oh well you know I'm not interested in this subject so let me take this instead like you know so like I liked that and I just like the the visuals of like the close-ups that were kind of like um I'm trying to think of the right (laughs) word this is gonna be like oh not full-length people where you just got parts of people like different parts like the shoes and the pins and like you know like I thought that was really cool yeah yeah no it was awesome it was like a really a really good like snapshot of the 80s 1984 I suppose I like you know and then we get you know the the hands in the pockets it's oh yeah (laughs) yeah no it's definitely like very stylish which I like like I will say that John Hughes like aesthetically he has a a pretty good eye where I'm like good job or is like cinematographer has a really good eye where I'm like yeah yeah and like even the kids drawing on themselves I think everyone drew it on themselves at oh some yeah point in high school yeah definitely I mean I more drew on like sneakers but like I definitely like doodled <laughs> on my hand and shit like <laughs> that's such a, a high school thing to do um I mean I will say just just to get this line out of the way like another just major red flag where it was like damn was like the line where I think it's something like about how like Molly's like oh swap like swap the black trans am and like pink guy like you know where it's like her her friends like you want a pink trans am and like a black guy oh and she's like no swap that and like sweetie no what was that about like oh my god you would be with a black guy like (gasps) yeah because that's another thing that maybe you were more observant than i was but i feel like out of this whole movie i really only saw one black kid and i couldn't pinpoint like where in America they were supposed to be but i was chicago suburbs and oh well then that's some that's some shit right there. While it's screwed up, I get that. Mm. The realistic part of it, and this is not, this is more of an indictment on our society, especially in the yeah. 80s, than yeah. that, is that, like, there was very few diverse high schools in America. Right. Like, now it's bad, but even at the time, it wasn't real segregation in terms of, like, it was on the books. Yeah. But it was segregation in a sense that white people lived in certain neighborhoods. 
Oh, totally. No, I wasn't going to argue that. I more just meant that it's it's some real shit that they like. I don't know. For this movie, like, I get the Chicago suburbs tend to be predominantly white, but like the fact that they only had like one, I'm like, damn, you only could find like <laughs> one black person who like maybe has like a close-up it's not even like extras where you couldn't throw (laughs) i mean i'm also granted i get like part of the thing with film that's still a huge debate is like oh well like how grounded in reality do you keep it like how much do you use the medium to show what you want society to be like versus how society is like that's just my whole thing where i'm like i feel like you could have generally like generally be like a little bit more inclusive when it comes to like background casting or like even just just regular casting but again yeah no today i totally get that i can't expect john hughes who with his record for other things in this film to be thinking about no oh no no not (laughs) at all i mean i would be i would have been very surprised if he wrote a nuanced role for a person of color because clearly he did not and like you know i'm just like okay uh cool but yeah it's it's still you know just gut reaction of that's some shit right there it's it's a terrible like like, why does that like okay it could be diverse or not whatever but like in terms of the high school but why does that joke have to be there and actually the first time i saw this movie that stuck out to me more than the long duck dong thing because i think when i was growing up sadly Mm. there was a lot of those stereotypical characters and things Mm. and it was more i don't know if i thought it was funny but i didn't think it was that odd like yeah because I'm sure, like, that that character has existed. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it, it is accurate for, like, a type of, like, like white person suburban racism. Because she's like, Sam, I'm going to not besmirch the name Molly Ringwald, because I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> but, like, Sam is, like, you know, this cute white suburban girl who like isn't really experiencing much outside of the terrible bubble that she's confined to so it's like that would be accurate like I would be very you know surprised to like see her be like hey why are you making like this weird joke about black men you know friendo (laughs) it fits in line with the logic of this universe but it's still cringy and it's still like I I think it's it's it's, as someone who's come from a a suburb it's accurate that like that's something that you kind of if you're in that position of like privilege you just brush off of being like oh well that you know she's cute whatever you know we're not gonna be appalled we're just gonna move right along in the conversation and it's like yeah (laughs) it's a really shitty line like i think that he was trying to get a laugh out of it and he was and that's not good you know no i don't think he was trying to get a laugh out of the lack of diversity in the school (laughs) no i think he was getting trying to get a laugh out of that line like oh my god her with a black guy (laughs) oh yeah yeah absolutely like that's one of the underlying issues of that line where i'm just like oh god (laughs) oh and that movie with the mr t joke where it's like what it's just lots of like subtle microaggressions in this film (laughs) which is interesting because like it's framed in such a way that it's it's harmless i think that's where it kind of gets like a little tricky and dangerous because it normalizes these like weird jokes or like behaviors where you're like that's actually not okay at all so (laughs) maybe don't do that (laughs) now the plot moves along during like uh i guess it's a study hall i didn't really i don't think i had study halls in high school i think we just had class i had study hall and i mean note passing's pretty accurate but also that questionnaire like Maybe I, being a a paranoid person, like, I would have never put down, like, who I I liked on paper. Like, that was just, like, no, you get that in person, and it, like, never leaves your lips again. Like, I was one of those, like, I will murder you if you tell anyone. So, uh, yeah, that's why I was super popular and cool. No, not at all. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I definitely passed yeah. notes in high school as well, but I don't think they were about 
stuff like that necessarily. Um, mm. And, she, you know, she's supposed to pass it to her friend and instead Jake Ryan gets the note. Well, that's the sort of thing, like that intro to Jake Ryan, I was like, you just gonna read the note she dropped, dude? Like, it's just, damn, okay. Like, no, you know, no respect for your property, I guess, like Molly Ringwald. Yeah, that was just kind of like very, I mean, I know why it happened the way it happened. So I'm like, all right, whatever. It moves along the plot. He like realizes she likes him because it's a very like kind of explicit note about being like, I would do him. And I'm like, yeah, all right. <laughs> Interesting. This, you know, 30 year old dude sitting in study hall, like why are you steal notes? But I'd say the thing that I just have so much, so many thoughts and feelings on by so many thoughts and feelings. I mean, more like one and condensed, but his friend in that gym that like really like so 80s borderline yeah. homoerotic but not not quite you know working out with his friend who was clearly 40 i'm sorry but he was 40 and i'm like you cannot convince me otherwise where they're like oh like do you know who she is like oh i'm just kind of like bro do you have eyes molly ringwald's a babe <laughs> <laughs> like what no, but do you know samantha baker kind of cool the way she's always looking at me some of the <laughs> some of the things he was saying like okay he shouldn't use the r word he shouldn't objectify her uh yeah he's totally wrong but yeah he had some good points when he was like she's just a kid and we're like adults because they are <laughs> they are well i feel like that was that was a line from the actor himself who knew he was 40 and was like what are we doing you know fellow older actor <laughs> like but yeah no no i think like that point very accurate but also i'm just kind of like thinking in the world of like I don't know if they're theoretically like they're seniors. So I guess they're, they're supposed to be like 17, 18. I, I still feel like, again, not to condone objectifying at all. Like she's a total babe. I don't trust that a lot of like six, like 17, 18 year old guys would like handle that with nuance and be like, Oh, is she really mature enough to handle like a sexual <laughs> relationship with us? Like let's discuss and consider how we can, you know, best not perpetuate emotional labor in like, you know, respect her needs and boundaries. Like I didn't see that happening. So it was just like, what's, what's going on here with this, this shit. Cause then it cuts right to the boob shot of like, <laughs> it was like, Oh my God, <laughs> movie. Like what the fuck? It seems like a really good place for a pause, I think. But of course it's 16 candles. Jenny and I have a ton more to talk about. Speaking of which, well, first of all, still there's no more birthday wishes. But you might notice the uptick in my voice because I've realized something. Our first episode was May 11th. This episode drops May the 10th. So it's not technically our birthday. So I guess you guys out there are just waiting for the real birthday. How foolish of me. <laughs> which, though, which leads me to my big announcement. Instead of waiting one week for the 16 Candles Part 2, in celebration of our first and wonderful high school slumber party year together, we're going to drop Part 2 tomorrow. That's right, a Saturday bonus episode. No homework, just fun. Saturday slumber party. I'm so excited. Who knows? I might make pancakes. <laughs> so you guys have just 24 hours, though, to wish me happy birthday. But since you've already done your homework and you've already seen 16 Candles, no pressure that way. Let's just have an awesome, awesome slumber party night. And before I drop that bonus episode, though, don't forget to rate and review, if you haven't already, wherever you get your podcasts. Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and of course you can always check us out at cageclub.me, that's cageclub.me, and while you're there, please check out all the other great shows that are on the network, including my other show, P.S. I Love Hoffman, and today is a Friday, and Fridays are for fun, so you're either going to get a Cruise Club show or a Hanks for the Memories every Friday, and that's the Tom Cruise 
related show and the Tom Hanks related show. Both shows I very, very, very much love. And of course, the best way you can spread the message about High School Slumber Party is by telling a friend. Tell a friend of how great of a year we've had on High School Slumber Party. Tell them to catch up on all the episodes, or I don't care, cherry pick the movies that you've already seen if you want to cheat a little bit and skip ahead and, you know, catch up with the rest of your friends. I'll have some more sentimental words about what you guys mean to me, you slumberers out there. I'll have some more sentimental words tomorrow, trust me. Because tomorrow's the real birthday, like I said. Not that this was a fluke or a fake, because we're still talking about 16 Candles, we're still having a good time. And I don't know if you caught that in the episode or not, but every year for High School Slumber Party's birthday, I plan on doing 16 Candles with a different guest. It's an interesting movie, it's a classic, it's loved by a lot of people, I enjoy it, but it's deeply flawed, so I think it makes for great conversation. So from the bottom of my heart, I really mean this. Thank you so much for listening. We'll chat tomorrow. Don't forget, I leave you with the song 16 Candles by The Crests. Pretty appropriate. Later, dudes. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.